Usually I don't like to talk about denominational affiliation, but that was the most Presbyterian parade I have seen. <laughs> Hosanna. Wow. Anyway, well, if nothing else, think about that during the week. If nothing else in the sermon touches you. Um, well, let me, on a, on a lighter note, I suppose, uh, or not so light note, depending upon your view, let me begin with the question, uh, how do you feel about the pens right now? I heard a couple groans. How would you be feeling about the pens maybe if they had about 10 more wins? I'm going, all right, I can get behind that. You know, uh, we talked a little bit in, this morning in our Sunday school class about our love of sports teams and how our love of sports teams can oscillate between uh, elation and joy and abject hatred in the same week. And so, uh, in lots of, uh, lots of touch points there then with... Holy Week. And we come to the beginning of Holy Week with, the, uh, with Palm Sunday, with the, the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we need to take a look at this story, and we need to take a look at this familiar text. You know, uh, I've commented this morning that, that the hardest Sundays to preach, the Sundays I dread most to preach are Christmas, Easter, and Palm Sunday, because they are so familiar. We know the story. We kind of know the what. We love seeing the kids. We love seeing the palms. Even if we do it, you know, just kind of, you know, don't extend the arms. But we know the basic story, and so it's very, very easy for us to tune out. It's very easy for us to say, I've been through a number of Palm Sundays. I, I get it. I get the story. Jesus comes in. He's the king. Let's go to, to pancake breakfast, right? I, no more amens. <laughs> Uh, but And so we come to this passage, and so part of what we need to do is we need to ask, why is this here? What is going on here beyond the, the basic level of the text that informs our faith and that allows us to, to live in light of Jesus? And what we see here is that, that Jesus, uh, um, excuse me, that Jesus is the true king who demonstrates a new way to live. He, he's the true king who demonstrates a new way to live. And we're going to pick up here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. So please, if you haven't, uh, open your Bibles there. We, last week we were in Matthew 25. We're coming back just a couple. Uh, Palm Sunday tends to be a topical sermon, tends to have a pretty defined text. So hear God's word as I share it with you, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, this is just northeast of the city of Jerusalem, uh, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, 
and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! They weren't Presbyterian. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. As we approach your word once again, as we come to hear a familiar story, one that perhaps we have heard dozens of times, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work within us to open our eyes to see, to open our ears to hear, and to open our hearts to understand how even this familiar passage about your son riding a donkey through a crowd can instruct us how to live in a way that's faithful to you. As we do this, strengthen my words, for mine are empty, they're just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, as we come to this passage, as we're continuing to, to go through Matthew and his account of what Jesus has done, uh, this passage, I want to suggest to you, uh, can show us three things. It shows us, first of all, how um, Jesus' kingdom comes. Secondly, our, world, our love of worldly power. And third, how our love of power causes us to miss or to turn on Jesus. So again, that's how Jesus' kingdom comes, our love of worldly power, and how our love of power causes us to miss or to turn on Jesus. First of all, how Jesus' kingdom comes. You know, we're familiar with this passage. It, it opens up with this uh, instruction from Jesus to go out and to seek out this donkey in order that he can ride into Jerusalem. You know, and, and perhaps we just think not too much of a donkey. Perhaps we've heard some things about uh, what a, a, a donkey might symbolize and so on. Uh, and so we want to look at that. Why is it that Jesus is asking specifically to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? First, uh, a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, a donkey has with it a, a sense of, um, it's a common animal. Now, there were people in Jesus' day who would travel donkeys uh, as a means of transportation. But generally, these are going to be people who are more eminent in the city. They're going to be the wealthy. They're going to be merchants. Perhaps some priests are going to ride donkeys. And when they do that, now think about it. If you are a wealthy citizen of a city and you're wanting to ride an animal, chances are you are looking for the Cadillac of donkeys. 
And that's exactly what they would do. Uh, typically, white donkeys were preferred by the, the wealthy of a city if they were going to ride around. It showed status. It showed some uh, refinement. And so uh, that would be what people would ride around. Well, here is Jesus as he instructs his disciples. He's go into town. You're going to find a colt and a donkey uh, and its mother together. Go get them and bring them here. It's very interesting. Why would Jesus want a colt and its mother with it? Is he, you know, fascinating questions that have been asked about this. Is Jesus planning on riding two donkeys? How does that work? And the reality is, this is a colt so young that it's untrained. This is a colt that hasn't had anyone ride on it yet. This is a colt that's, that's probably a little bit skittish. And what people would do when they were training donkeys is that they would have the mother with the colt whenever it started to be trained. It would keep the colt's nerves down. And so what Jesus has asked for is not the best. He hasn't asked for the Cadillac or the, the Lexus or, or, or the Maserati. He has asked for the very basic level. Give me the one that just rolled off the line. Hasn't even been, been road tested yet. I'm okay with that. Jesus is asking for not the best, but he is asking for the one that's there even if it needs a little bit of help. And Jesus uses this then to show us the way that his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is not coming with flashing lights. It's not coming with the greatest of resources. It's not coming with wealth and status in the way that we know it. It is coming quietly. It's coming a little bit maybe untrained. It's coming as a beast of burden, just a common animal. You know, donkeys were important in Jesus' day, uh, not just as a a status of symbol. In fact, most of the time they were not a uh, status of symbol. It was only if you had the the white one that was well-groomed that was a status of symbol. But the thing was, even the poorest of peasants usually owned a donkey. This is something that everyone had. Even the poorest of peasants would would have a donkey that they could load up with with, um, whatever they needed to transport. It was a beast of birth. It was the ancient truck. Just taking things from here to there. And unlike the modern day trucks, they're actually affordable. And so this was a common, common thing. But he's riding into the city as well, and there's an aspect of this, of how Jesus' kingdom comes, that has to do with prophecy and political power. Uh, We read the prophecy there, it says from the prophet, it's actually two prophets put together. But say to the daughter, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. People in Jesus' day knew this prophecy, kind of conflated both from Zechariah and from Isaiah. And they knew that it had connotations. You know, the, the Jews were a conquered people, and they had been a conquered people for hundreds of years. 
You know, in, in, even in Jewish history, the, the historian Josephus, who lived uh, in, in Roman times, commented that they were a, a beaten down people. They were a people basically kind of wondering, who's going to conquer us this week? And they longed for the day, like anyone who has, uh, who has lived in an occupied area, and we struggle to understand that. We don't live under occupation. But as anyone who has lived under occupation ha- has thought, when is the day that we are once again going to be free? When is the day that we are once again going to be able to determine our own future? When is the day that we will no longer have someone else above us? And that day was foretold in Scripture, in Isaiah and in Zechariah, that that day, that the Davidic king, king in the line of David, because David was promised you will never lack a person to sit on the throne, that one day that Davidic king would rise again, and that they would know that king by the entrance into Jerusalem on this donkey. Well, here you are. Uh, Jerusalem at that time was a city of about 70,000 people. Around Passover time, which is when this is taking place, the city swelled to about 210,000. Now, as I was commenting, uh, the the Roman province of Judea went through a series of governors. How does this tie into the fact that, that I'm talking about the city of Jerusalem? Well, the Jews were, are known for many things, great poetry, scripture. There are a couple things that they are not known for. If you know Hebrew um, and if you understand the Hebrew text, one of the things, and just hear me on this, is they're not known for mathematics. But the other thing is they are not known for being a governable people. And so the Roman province of Judea, in which Jerusalem was, was constantly having new governors because these Jewish people, they are just not willing to submit to Rome the way that other areas are willing to submit to Rome. And so one of the concerns, you have an ungovernable area during a festival time when the population swells to three times its normal size. You have a security nightmare on your hands. And so Jerusalem is a bit of a powder keg already. And here are the people's expectations, the the idea that one day we want to once again have our own kingdom. And here comes Jesus riding on a donkey, someone who has shown himself through miracles and through authoritative teaching to be someone of note. And now, and now he is picking up a very obvious symbol that is going to start to throw people into a tizzy. I was watching, um, uh, uh, watching a little bit the Mary Lemieux camp uh, went on recently. And, you know, there's something still, I, I remember when I got to go down and watch Lemieux play. And there is still something that when he gets on the ice, I'm like, Phew. something amazing is about to happen. You know, we have those expectations of people, people that we know can do great things, that when they step into the room, that those great things are going to happen. 
there are those people in the, the business world, there are those people in the thought world. There are people, you know, you look at things like TED Talks, and if you see that Simon Sinek is going to be speaking, you go, ooh, that's going to be a good talk. We have those people, even if we don't recognize the names right now, perhaps we can think of who it is that we might like to hear. And so all this is coming together. All these expectations, and yet Jesus comes in on the donkey. Here's the thing, if, if a king wanted to come to town to show his power, if he wanted to come into his capital city after a campaign, would rarely choose a donkey. The, the symbol of power was, and really still is, riding in on a horse to show that, that, that we are victorious, we are conquering, we are, we are powerful. A, a donkey was kind of a symbol of peace. And in fact, some treaties in Jesus' day were made with a donkey. You make a peace treaty with a donkey. And so Jesus shows as he is coming into Jerusalem that yes, he is this king coming to claim his spot, but he is coming in as a king declaring peace. And even the prophecy says, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey or meek and riding on a donkey. He he shows us that his plan is not to conquer through war, but his plan is to announce peace to us. His kingdom comes in with, with peace and with meekness and with humility. It doesn't come in with symbols of war. You know, as I I was thinking about this image, perhaps the best way I could put it is this. Let's imagine King Charles riding up to Buckingham Palace in his 1982 Chevy farm truck. It's just not something we'd expect. It's not something that makes sense. But Jesus uses this untrained beast of burden, this pack animal, to make the point about his kingdom. I mentioned uh, last week that this is his upside-down kingdom. This is his kingdom where the values of this world are totally at odds on the other side of the spectrum from the values of his kingdom. And he demonstrates that that is how his kingdom is going to come in. But here's the thing, this shows us how his kingdom comes in and the nature of his kingdom, but then it shows our love of this world, of how this world treats power. What do I mean by that? So, okay, the crowds are there. We love Palm Sunday. We love to see the... um, that we love to see the uh, the kids walking around with palms. We love to see the celebration. We we may think of pageants of days past. We may think of all sorts of things, and we may think of of Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday as kind of joyful bookends to what was really kind of a lousy week. But 
that's to miss what is going on in this situation. Like I mentioned, the crowds have this great expectation of what Jesus is doing. He is coming into Jerusalem as the king. And they are not noticing the symbolism of the donkey. They are remembering the parts of the prophecy that see that says, see, your king comes to you. And they're saying, here it goes. We're getting rid of the Romans at last. They are going to be gone. We're going to have a new king. He is going to be one of us. He understands us. He's going to drive out the people who are, have been oppressing us. Finally, God will return to Jerusalem, and we are going to have our independence. There's a lot of, of freight that is put on this idea of a Messiah. There's a lot of ideas that go along with it. There's a lot of hopes and dreams that are resting on their shoulders, on his shoulders. It's not unlike the hopes and dreams that we put on sports teams. Well, maybe not the Pirates. I know. But we want to. We, we get upset by the fact that they're not as good as we want. And we want to have something to get excited about. And yet, that's what that's, is going on in this situation. Hopes and dreams and ideas are being put onto Jesus as they are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. He is here. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The day is at hand. But what they're thinking about, <coughs> excuse me, is they're thinking about changing the person who's at the top. They want to get rid of the Romans so they can rule for themselves. They've been through changes in power. Rome overthrew Greece. Greece overthrew Persia. Persia, Persia overthrew Babylon. And every time we have a revolution in our world, really what we're doing is we're rearranging the deck chairs. It, it changes who's at to on top. It doesn't really change much else. You know, Winston Churchill was once quoted as saying, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. In democracy, we put a few at top. and in, in monarchy, we put one at top. You know, communism, at least at one time, theoretically said, well, we put the workers at top until everything sorted out, but then that fell down too. And what we do is we just try to change who's at, on the top. We like the power and we want, just want it exercised our way. But here's the thing. Jesus came not to change who was at the top. Jesus came to show us a totally different way of power altogether. He said it's not about who's at top, but it is about power that empties itself. It's about glory that makes itself lowly. It's about almighty that makes itself limited. It's about life that gives itself to death so that others can live. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. We're stuck, much as we are in this idea of merit. We talk about that week after week. This idea that we're trying to earn our way to being accepted. 
but just as much we're enamored with this idea of power, how to get power, how to influence others, how to make sure that, that our world is set up just as it, is, as it should be. And I'm not necessarily talking about everyone's aspiring to, you know, to be the president. Some of us, uh, but we want power within our own sphere. And we know how to do that through the world's ways. How to win friends and influence people. And Jesus says it's not about that. It's about emptying ourselves. It's about putting others first. It's about the Father's will. It's about... God. It's not about us. But yet we get so wrapped up in these ideas. And it shows. It shows in our world the amount of freight that we put on the political system to solve our problems. If we just elect the right person, if we just elect the right group of people, if we just vote out the right group of people, if we just do... It never works, does it? We say that time and time and time again, and it never comes to fruition. We can say that about our lives. You know, if I, if I just take care of this issue in my life, if I just take care of my laziness, if I just take care of uh, get control over my work life, if I just get control over my home life, if I can just get control over my environment, and if I can just clear out all the clutter, if I could just do this, if I can just get a hold of, and we never are quite able to get a hold of everything. Keep slipping just a little bit through, if not all the way. But we want control and we want the ability to control our environment. We want to use power in the way that we want it used. And so when we see Jesus, we can say, okay, there's the one on whom I can put, he's almighty, so he is going to be able to do it. And the crowd put their expectations, and that shows how the, the, our love of power and our love of this ways of the world can cause us to, to turn on Jesus or to, to miss him altogether. You know, the crowd had their expectations, and the crowd said, this is it, this is what's going to happen. And so just like a, a sports team that you say, this is the year. And then they blow it. One of my classmates, I'll, I'll, uh, it's very easy to target him, but he's a, uh, he's a Browns fan. And I was, we were driving to our doctoral, um, our, our doctoral class in, in Massachusetts. I had driven from, from my house in Rock Island. He, I, he was actually along the way, so we picked him up along the way, stayed his night at his house, and we went from Ohio to Massachusetts. You get a lot of time to talk, and he was telling me how, uh, this was two years ago, I think, that that was going to be their year. I said, you Browns fans, you say this every year. He said, no, but this is, this is going to be the year. At the end of the season, I just had to say it. How'd that work out for you? 
And so all that freight was on Jesus. A new kingdom. Freedom. No more oppressors. Someone who gets us. Someone who is going to take the power and use it the way we want it. And yet, the symbol was right there in front of them. The donkey. I'm not here to drive out and conquer and use power the way you think I'm going to. I am here to come meek and lowly. Do you think dying was on the radar of anyone in that crowd? Do you think a cross between two criminals was the plan of anyone in that crowd cheering Hosanna? When we realize how far Jesus' plan of self-emptying, self-sacrificing was from the crowd's plan of power and might and political conquering, then we can see how in a quick week attitudes turned on him. Wait, you're not going to drive the Romans out? You are not going to free us from, from foreign political powers? You are not going to take up kingship? You are not going to do any of these things? And forget it. We'll look for someone else. And so it, it becomes obvious then how we can put our expectations on Jesus. We can put our expectations for our lives. We can put our expectations for our children. We can put our expectations for our culture, for our community, for our society. We can put our expectations for the political system onto Jesus. And when he doesn't operate the th way that we think he ought to, then we turn and we can become disillusioned. And we can see how others become disillusioned when Jesus, when we try to make Jesus just one more political operative in this world. When he came to sacrifice himself to show a totally different way of power. We turn on him and the world turns on him. And yet he is showing the way of his kingdom. And he walks through that crowd, the only one knowing what is going to happen to him. And he walks through that fully dependent on the Father. Can you imagine knowing that everyone was going to misunderstand him? And not just that, but to turn on him and condemn him. We want to be careful what freight we put on Jesus. Are we putting on him our expectations? Are we putting on him the expectations of our world? Are we putting on him the expectations of how power operates in this world? Or are we noticing what he's riding in on? Do we see the donkey and say, this is not a man of power, this is a man of peace? Do, do we see what he wants us to do with our lives 
and follow him where he's planning on going. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have seen so much of our nature. You heard those crowds crying out your praise, and yet you knew it wasn't praise for who you were, but it was praise for what they expected of you. And you knew that in days that those expectations would fall short and the crowd would turn on you. Cries of Hosanna would turn into cries of crucify. And you know the ways that we still do that today. But help us to recognize the ways that we put our own expectations on you and fail to see you for who you are. When we do that, protect our hearts so that we don't turn on you entirely, but we turn back to you and to seek your grace, to seek your ways. Remind us throughout this week, throughout all of our interactions of your upside-down kingdom so that when we go to interact, we are not interacting on the basis of power in this world, but on the self-sacrificing, self-emptying love and power of your kingdom. Plant this deep in our hearts so that it changes who we are into people more like you. This we pray in your name, O Christ. Amen.